0: You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Hi, guys. It has been a while since I've been with you, and uh, since our last time together, it is now fall. So it's gone from summer, my favorite time of the year, to cold, chilly. I'm digging out the winter clothes. I'm wearing boots. I've got jackets hanging up in my entryway. I'm trying not to get depressed about it. But um, it is what it is. Seasonal change. And, you know, when I ask my clients what their favorite season is, resoundingly, they say fall. Everybody loves fall. I have no idea why. The weather is unpredictable. I've just got to chill 24-7. But um, anyway, most of you, based on that feedback, most of you are probably quite excited that fall is here. Uh, before I launch into your questions, because I have a huge list of questions that have come in since I've been away for two weeks, I want to tell you why I've been away for two weeks. Because um, I haven't really released it publicly, but I guess this is the perfect forum to do it. I have been really, really sick. And you say, Betsy, what kind of illness lasts for two weeks? And let me tell you people, this illness has lasted for more than two weeks. I think i'm on week five or six and i am pregnant so uh, my husband and i are expecting our third child and i am so sick and so tired um but mostly just sick so if i don't look like my normal dynamic bubbly self now you know the reason and uh wish me luck on this journey because i'm i'm too old for this stuff (laughs) Um, it wasn't exactly a surprise, but let's just say we're a little overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. Uh, so thank you for your congratulations and uh, we'll keep you posted on how it's all how it's all going. I'm hoping to not feel like I'm gonna puke every five minutes very soon. Uh Now, let me get on to other things. and the other things would happen to be your questions. So I'm gonna dive right in because I do have a lot that have come in. And my first question comes from Jamie. So Jamie writes, Hi Betsy, thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us lowly attempters. I am much more empowered than I was before and I can't wait to decorate my new home when we close on it next month. It's a new build so I don't have any pictures, but my question today relates to windowless rooms. Our children's bathroom has no window nor does our laundry room. The bathroom has a single sink vanity with a basic shower. Our laundry room fits a full-size washer dryer but isn't huge. I've toyed with the idea of using extra mirrors or maybe additional lighting to bring in more light, but I'm not sure how to execute it. Any ideas to prevent these from becoming depressing lightless caverns? Thank you so much, Jamie. So yes, of course I do have ideas, Jamie. Now The first thing is when you hang a mirror, you have to do so with intention. A mirror must do a job. And a mirror cannot officially be a window unless it is reflecting a window across from it. For instance, if I have a view of the Empire State Building on one side of my apartment and I hang a mirror opposite that window, well then, it's going to reflect that view, reflect that window quite literally, giving me an extra window, right? In a windowless room, there is no window to reflect. So you want to make sure that that mirror has another job to do. What I'm trying to get at is in a laundry room, a mirror just doesn't belong. I mean, I don't want to see more of my dirty laundry reflected because… As I just mentioned, anytime you have a mirror, it doubles what you already have. So in other words, I would never hang a mirror across from my kitchen because it would double the dirty dishes that I see. And so I'm not going to hang a mirror in my laundry room because first of all, if you, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I just don't want to look at myself doing laundry. Let me put that out there. I was going to reveal how um, glamorous I look doing laundry, but I decided to spare you from that description. So I don't want to see that. I don't want to see double the amount of dirty laundry. I don't want to see double the amount of underwear. No, thank you. So a mirror does not belong in even a windowless laundry room. However, in a child's bathroom, it makes perfect sense to have a mirror. Now, instead of having multiple mirrors in a bathroom, which I think can be a little weird because you do want to, you know, check yourself out, make sure your hair is in place, make sure your makeup looks good, but you don't necessarily need the full 360 in the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So many places that I go into, these apartments where they do have those enclosed bathrooms with no windows, they put like a full-length mirror across from the toilet. That's not a good look. No, I don't care how dark your bathroom is. I don't want to see that. Uh, so I think just an extra large vanity mirror would be very appropriate, but I wouldn't go putting additional mirrors outside the vanity mirror in that bathroom. Instead, what I'd recommend that you do is do a light paint color. So something that's not very dark. The other thing is you wanna make sure that your overhead fixture does have ample illumination. So make sure it's a fixture that can accommodate more than one bulb. Make sure that each bulb is over 60 watts and then put it on a full range dimmer. That way, you can adjust the amount of light that you're getting and determine if you want it to be really bright to do makeup or if you want it to be a little bit dimmer because you look as fabulous as I do while you're doing laundry. So Jamie, I hope that helped. I mean, some other things that come to mind, especially in the kid's bathroom, doing a light colored shower curtain, um, picking mid-tone bath towels. So I never do anything too dark for bath towels or bath mats because it shows every piece of hair and lint. Nor do I like to do anything too light in tone, like a white bath towel, even though it feels fresh and clean, in a kid's bathroom where they're wiping muddy hands, spaghetti sauce, go for that mid-tone color, like a sage or a teal or a lilac, and I think you'll be much more successful in terms of not making it too dark, but also camouflaging some stains. All right, my next question comes from Jan. Jan writes, Hello Betsy! I love the podcast and your blog! My husband and I have a room in our new home that is 30 feet long and 18 feet wide. It has a massive fireplace on the center of the wall that you see the minute you enter the room. It's in the middle of the 30 foot wall with windows on each side. The room is like a giant shoebox. Here is the issue. There are windows on three of those walls. Floor to ceiling windows. So I have one wall straight across from the fireplace to hang or place anything. It is our future family room. We've inherited this mountain retreat home and I want to make it work without knocking out walls. Any ideas? I have your book on the way and my paint colors and flooring were selected thanks to your advice and direction. Thank you, Jan. Jan, thanks for writing in all the way from Utah. So, I can't get a sense of what you want to do in this room, but when I think family room, I think a lot of comfortable seating, I think a TV, I think accent tables to hold our snacks and drinks and books and iPads, let's keep it real. Uh, So, that's what I think about when I think about a family room. Now… The key is that TV viewing from the comfortable seating. And I hate that the only solid wall is directly opposite the fireplace because you have to choose. It's like Sophie's choice, right? You have to choose between looking at the fireplace or looking at the TV. Your back has to be to one or the other. And the fireplace, whether you use it or not, is the room's architectural focal point. So it will look so weird to have your back to the fireplace. So what this is telling me is that you need to put your TV above the fireplace that way both focal points are in a centrally located space now say your fireplace is quite high say it goes significantly up the wall and putting your TV up there would feel like you're in the front row of a movie theater you'd be cricking your neck like this to see the show right if that is the case don't hesitate to block those windows I'm not opposed to you putting a TV on a stand in front of one of those windows. In fact, I'm not opposed to putting furniture in front of windows at all. In New York City, which is where we primarily design, there are so many modern apartments that don't have many walls. In fact, it's floor-to-ceiling windows, so we can check out this panoramic view. That's what people are paying a premium for. But when they get in there, when they bring all their furniture, they realize, hey, I don't have a parallel wall for my TV. How is this going to work? And I don't want you ever turning your back from that glorious view, right? So I'm not opposed to putting that TV. In fact, I just did it the other day in Columbus Circle. I put that TV right in front of the floor to ceiling window. I put it on a stand, I wrangled those cords, and you know, from outside it's not the best look. Luckily this apartment she was 15 floors up. But you are probably on the ground level, so ideally you wouldn't put it in a window that faces your entry, because people will see the cords from the TV. But just don't feel so limited. This is what I'm trying to share with you is that just because the windows go all the way to the floor doesn't mean that you can't obstruct them. Feel free to put an arm of a sectional in front of the windows. Feel free to put some armchairs in front of the windows. Because you're still going to get a ton of amazing view. And generally, and I haven't seen your particular view Jan, but generally, the best part of the view is not 3 feet and below which is where your sofa will be, your armchair will be, your TV stand will be, the best view is typically up a little bit higher. Four feet and above. And you're still going to have all of that unobstructed. So don't think so narrowly about the space. You have more walls and more options than you think, Jan. All right, let's get to my next question which came from Michelle. Michelle wrote... Betsy, thank you for answering my previous questions. Guys, as you know, you can write in time and time again. Send me a question on Facebook. Send me a question to my email, Betsy at com. Write it in the comments on my blog. There's so many ways to reach me. Go to BigDesignSmallBudget.com and you can write in the comments on the podcast page, um, whatever you want to know. And of course, if you can, include some pictures. All right, let me get back to your question, Michelle. Um, I have a request regarding the teaching method. When I look at your before-afters and mood boards, in many of them, I cannot pick out your suggested three Roy G. Biv colors. I just see neutrals. If you could give me an example or maybe retrain my eye, I'd be most appreciative. For example, in your Dobbs Ferry office on your website, affordableinteriordesign.com, go to the portfolio section – I see two to three shades of blue and teal. For neutrals, I see white and gray. What is the third color I am missing from your Roy G. Biv formula? Another wonderful example of my lack of understanding is your beautiful before and after of the Upper West Side living room and dining room. I see cream, pink, a dark pink, almost red, and you have a golden chair and pillow. Again, I am missing that last color. I appreciate all your guidance, Michelle. All right, Michelle. You are referring technically to the sixty thirty ten rule, meaning that you have a room that starts as a blank slate. Maybe it's a blank slate of neutrals, whites, creams, beiges, tans, whatever. Right, and on that you're going to layer three Roy G. Biv colors. Roy G. Biv, signifying it must be found in the rainbow, but. You are saying that when you look at the pictures, you don't see three true colors. Rather, oftentimes you see two colors and neutrals. Now, there are several reasons for this, and I am so glad that you caught that. But let me start with the first thing, which is that the 60-30-10 rule of accent colors is not something that I brought to the table. I, unfortunately, cannot take credit for that rule. That is a designer rule that you will see on HGTV. You may read in other books. You may see referenced in articles on Domino. So that's a designer standard. I must say that as a designer, we are trying really hard to please our clients and people are moving away from color. They are moving away from color in droves. It highly disappoints me. But... Even I, after working with so many neutrals, am having a reaction where I'm really wanting to incorporate more neutrals and tone down the color even on my own part. The other day, I was sitting on my couch. You know, my walls are yellow. My pop colors are red, green, and yellow. And that's my Roy 60-30-10 formula. And I was thinking to myself, Betsy, if you redesigned this room today, how would you do it differently? And I would tone it down. I would. Um, So when you're looking at our website, when you're looking at my portfolio there, keep in mind that that was done to please a client. I oftentimes try and coax clients into using more color than they're comfortable with. And most of my clients aren't comfortable using any color at all. All getting one Roy G biv is a huge win. Getting two, massive success. Getting three, nearly impossible. When I ask my clients for inspiration photos, they send back neutral after neutral after neutral. I ask them how much color would you want to use? Their reply, no color. So when you're looking at those on the website, keep in mind that those are products meant to please clients because. Unfortunately, unlike high-end designers or big-name designers, I can't just foist my choices onto the client. I can't say, this is the shopping list, this is what we're getting, come hell or high water. Instead, it's all a negotiation. So I present my plan to them, I'm very optimistic that they will embrace it, and then they say, Betsy, too much color. If I had my druthers, if I was rewriting this designer rule... What I would do now is different than what I wrote in 2014. What I would do now is two Roy G. Biv colors and one neutral. A neutral that does remain consistent. In fact, I did put that in my book, but it was like a, a footnote, if you will, rather than the headline. And I think it would be the headline now. That say you wanted to use blue and you wanted to use a muted butter yellow, and you wanted to use taupe. As long as you use that same tone of taupe consistently versus using a mix of taupe, cream, gray, beige, that could certainly count as one of your 60 30 10. And that's how I would amend that designer rule if I could wave a magic wand. And that's oftentimes how I will neutralize this rule for my clients who are really afraid. Now what I would never do is I would never go down to one biv color and two neutrals because it looks like you didn't make any choices. It looks devoid of personality. It's like you went to the neutral store and said, give me everything, including. Gray and beige. And that is not acceptable when you're working on a budget. Definitely, that looks amazing if you're a celebrity and everything is very expensive. And all the wow factor is found in the nuance of the shimmer of the silk, the open weave of the linen, the texture of the wood. But when you're shopping at IKEA, Crate and Barrel, West Elm. Those fabrics are not sumptuous. They are not perfect. There is no wow uh, in drapes from Ikea. Let's keep it real. So we need to provide that visual impact in some color. And if I do just blue and then I do gray, and then I do white for my trio, for my color palette, well, then it becomes the blue room, right? I'm living in the blue room. I'm living in the teal room. I'm living in the buttercream yellow room. And that is boring. So I personally am going to get on my high horse and say two biv, one neutral. And if I were starting all over again today, that would be my rule, Michelle. Hope that helped. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to Affordable affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. So my last question for today comes from Paulin. Paulin writes, Hi, Betsy. First of all, congratulations on the expansion of your business. For those of you who don't know, in October, we are expanding to the Washington, D.C. area. I have found three amazing designers in Washington DC and I cannot wait to launch our services out there. We are in New York City, we are in London, and now we are in Washington DC and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. So if you know somebody who needs design assistance in Washington DC, send them to affordableinteriordesign.com. We will be there for them starting the third week in October as soon as I get these designers trained and ready for you. All right, back to your question, Paulin. All right. I appreciate how amazing you are at juggling a thriving business, a fantastic podcast, and a family. Well, now, Paulin, you have the update that the family is expanding. Hopefully, I am still as amazing at juggling when there's five family members. <laughs> Um, so you write, if you would, please, I have a couple of questions about my open floor plan, dining, and living room. I recently renovated and I'm still organizing, so please excuse the mess in the pictures I've attached. I cannot wait for my Geldwin white two-door panel pantry and powder room doors to arrive in mid-October so they will complete my reno. Here are a few facts about the space. The flooring is maple. The ceilings are 18 feet high. The fireplace is painted simply white with Revere pewter on both sides. All the other walls are Swiss coffee. I also updated the stairs with three inch steps also in maple. I have drapery panels from Ikea and my floor space is small. The dining table is an espresso with six fabric chairs. Overall, I like a neutral space. See what I'm talking about, Michelle? Everybody wants neutral spaces these days. And I am thinking of adding blue and green accents. The two words I'm striving for are comfortable zen in this elegant, sophisticated space. In the dining area, the wall measures 130 inches, that's behind the dining table. I purchased from our house a 71 inch media console, the Mondera, in the natural finish. Given the color palette of this open living dining area, could you recommend the type of bookcase that will complement this unit from our house? Do I get an open etagere, which might get dusty, or a closed bookcase, which might look kitcheny? It's hard to get the color to perfectly match the mandera. Will any natural finish do? Which one of those industrial open bookcases would look good with this piece? I am thinking to put a bookcase on both sides of the credenza and a round 36 inch mirror on the wall. Do you have any thoughts? Alright, so I looked up this Mandara credenza from our house and it is beautiful. It's a natural wood tone which makes it look kind of whitewashed or unfinished uh, but very light in tone. And it has intricate carvings, like a Mandela, on each door. And then it's on these very slim, very contemporary steel legs, which look like they're in silver, but it's hard to truly discern. Now, you mentioned that this Mandera is 71 inches long, and the wall is 130 inches. I don't think you need anything flanking this console. I think it's going to look too tight to put bookcases on either side. I think it will look much less cluttered, much more elegant and sophisticated to leave either side open because you're only going to have less than 30 inches of wall on each side. That's a very skinny bookcase, right? We don't want it touching the side walls. so. A standard bookcase is between 30 and 36 inches. Are you going to put some kind of midgy there, like little sideburns on either side of this beautiful and expensive credenza? That's weird and I certainly would not make them a wood tone because your table is espresso and this credenza is a natural light wood. Adding another wood tone would be heading to crazy town with a quickness. There is so much wood in this area already that I would be desperately seeking a new material. Even if it's just painted wood, which we know is not truly wood because you can't see a wood grain. So instead it counts as a piece from that color whichever color that happens to be or I might be leaning towards a mix of glass and metal playing with that steel finish, but incorporating glass. Now, this is if you felt you had to do bookcases, but I think it's the wrong approach completely. Rather, I would do some dramatic artwork above the credenza because you have 18 foot high ceilings. Now, we know that my designer rule, and again, Michelle, not my designer rule, this is just kind of an industry standard, is that the piece of art should be 50 to 75% the length of the item below it or excuse me it's above yeah that sounds right below it so you have a 71 inch credenza half of 71 I'm just going to round up and say it's 36 so the piece of art needs to be at least 36 inches wide I'm open to it going up to 48 but it needs to be tall it needs to be tall because you have such beautifully high ceilings that we have to do something that's in scale I would be thinking about something that's 36 by 48 vertical I would be thinking about something that's quite eye-catching, colorful, because we have no color on this side of the room, what with those gray dining chairs. And if you really felt like you had to flank that credenza with something, I might be inclined to do a potted plant on either side that's somewhat tall, like 3 to 4 inches… I'm sorry, 3 to 4 feet tall. But I definitely would not be wedging case pieces next to a case piece that's next to a chunky rectangular table. No, that is redundant and not at all sophisticated or you're comfortable zen. All right, let's go for your next question. You wrote, would a jute rug for the dining area in natural be okay? All right, what you have here, what you have here, Pollen, you have curse of the browns. You have an espresso dining table. You have a natural wood tone credenza. Now you are asking me if you can put a natural jute rug under the table. It's like I'm shopping at the brown store and I'm getting every possible shade. So no, I do not think that you should put a jute rug in a natural color under your brown dining table in front of your brown credenza. What we are looking for is contrast. Contrast is king. Contrast is designerly. When I squint, I want to see that not everything is the same color of mocha latte java brown, right? Uh, I would be more inclined to do something in a muted color. Nothing too light because it's going to show every stain when you drop your spaghetti sauce or pizza or spill your wine. But nothing too dark because, again, that espresso table with those gray chairs is already a very dark situation. Uh, So think about lightening it up and thinking about maybe pulling a color from that dramatic artwork above the cordenza to use for the rug. Another thing that will help camouflage the stains in the rug under the dining table is um, a pattern. It can be quite a muted pattern, nothing that sticks out too obtrusively, but I would look for something with a pattern. It can make it so much more forgiving. And I did see in your pictures that you have a Roomba. So that's amazing news. You definitely qualify for a rug under the dining table with a Roomba and or a dog. I happen to have both and the rug under my dining table is always pristine. Alright, last question. The sofa is from West Elm. It is performance basket weave in natural. The coffee table is alabaster and it can be backlit. What do you think of a polyester silver gray shag rug for the living room? My thought is that it's affordable, soft, comfortable, and easy to clean. Well, typically, easy to clean and shag happen to be oxymoron. Now you mentioned that this shag is polyester and maybe it's a relatively low pile. And I can see here that you're mixing grays with the browns in the dining room. So it does seem appropriate that you might do that again in the living room, especially because they're open concept layouts. so They really speak to each other. That being said, I really think we're going with a case of the neutrals. It's starting to get a little blah. And blah as in the first three letters in the word bland, but also just blah in general. I would try and encourage you to um, make one of the rugs, whether it's the dining room rug Or the living room rug a true color. And I would encourage you to keep that shag in a bedroom where the plushness will feel so soft and cozy in a guest room. And do a lower pile, more forgiving, more entertaining, friendly rug in the living room. All right, you had one more comment here. I will be replacing the chunky TV stand and mounting the TV on the wall. Above the wall, I have an AC unit. Will it look weird if I hang a picture above the TV to hide the wall unit air conditioner after I frame it out? Thank you so much. It will look weird. First of all, won't it block the air if you put a big painting over this air conditioner that happens to be over your big TV? I mean, will you still get airflow? Will you have to take that picture off every time that you want air conditioning in your room? The other thing is that, you know, it's two big horizontal things, one above the other the big picture covering the AC unit and the big TV. It's redundant, it's weird. A picture that's that high because that AC unit is relatively high, based on your pictures, I think it's at least seven foot high. Having a picture up that high is also awkward because I can't actually see the imagery. Again, it's like I'm in the front row of the movie theater. I'm having to crick my neck just to see what's in that picture. It does look very weird. I mean, there's not a great scenario because it also looks a little bit weird to have that AC unit above the TV. But I think think when you add some artwork, add some nice pillows, bring in those rugs, you won't notice the air conditioner as much because you'll be looking at these other gorgeous elements in the room. Guys, I hope that helped. I hope it was an inspiring episode. I really appreciate you hanging with me these past two weeks. I'm hoping to start feeling better soon. I'm very optimistic. In the meanwhile, I'll be um, crawling around eating bland pasta, drinking bottled water, and um, anticipating the end of the first trimester. So until next week, guys, keep those questions coming, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, Bye.